0: ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? ¿Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura? Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Hello and welcome to Springboard Body Virtual University. My name is Albert Ucran. Welcoming you on behalf of our team here, very excited about another brand new day and a great opportunity to share this experience with you. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Rocio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Ghana, the enterprise group. And we are proud to bring you this in partnership with the multimedia group and the graphic business. So last week, I sat in a meeting of sharp contrasts. A friend of mine kept sharing great things about what was happening in his business. And after a while, another friend spoke up about his business and went on and on and on about how things just were not working. After a while, I asked him, so what exactly is wrong with your business? His answer was a classic. He said, the whole show. (laughs) That's why my guest all the way from Manchester is here with us today. Prof. P.K. Richardson needs no introduction on the virtual university. He's a management development educator, consultant, and business school professor. P.K. travels across the world teaching leadership in various countries and is the author of the book, Leadership Theory, Practice, and Cases. P.K., once again, welcome to Springboard.
1: Thank you very much, Albert. It's always a great joy for me to come and uh, share ideas with you and with your audience.
0: Uh, earlier in the week, we had, you, we had you join us for the PCH at, at the new end temple absolutely phenomenal experience with rosie and the response was was just phenomenal
1: it was very good I, uh, the experience was simply amazing the number of people who attended and the interest shown and even online well done um, i think you're doing a wonderful job here i was but i'm pra- very happy to be part of it
0: i know um, i was particularly <laughs> particularly touched by the interaction with the demonstration school for the deaf all the way from the crop and the fact that they could participate and ask their questions and and get, and get engaged and inspired about the future was for me very, very, very special. Yeah, it was
1: very good. It was very
0: good. So Piki, the whole show, that's my friend's the whole answer, show. the whole show. I mean, how did we get here? I mean, running a business has always been been challenging, but it would seem that the bar has been raised further. How did we get here?
1: Right. I, uh, it's very, very difficult these days to run a business successfully. And it's going to be increasingly difficult as we actually proceed in this 21st century. It's not going to be easy for anybody who wants to run a business and run it successfully. And therefore, it is important for those who desire to run businesses, get what it takes to do it successfully. Because there's no point getting in and failing. But it's never been the same throughout. It has not always been the case that running businesses uh, was a very difficult thing. Uh, If we take the first 25 years of the post-war period from about 1950 to about 1975, the world had emerged from a devastating Second World War. And we were rebuilding again. War-torn economies were all rebuilding, And we had learned from the experiences of the war. We had become sensible. And there was a period of peace. The first 25 years was peaceful, and the world economy grew at about 2 to 2.5% a year, non stop. So that was a stable period. And in my jargon, I define stability as a period during which you can do today what you did yesterday and still get the results coming through. Stable. So we had a stable period. And companies and factories had been bombed out of existence. We were rebuilding again. Pent-up demand was very, very high. Therefore, Albert, whatever you produce, people bought. We were building factories again, all of them destroyed, building them again. Demand, people were still there. They needed food, they needed, you know, uh, uh, services, they needed products. So whatever you produce during those 25 years, people bought. It was a jolly good time to be a manager, to run a business, because demand was high, exceeded supply. So if you design a mousetrap, Everybody beat apart your door. And you didn't need to be a genius to run a business because people needed the goods. And whatever you did, they bought. So that was the first 25 years to about 1974, 75. And then uh, we had the Israel-Arab War, 1973. Those days, OPEC controlled 80% of the crude output in the whole world. And because OPEC was controlled by the Arabs, because of the war, they decided to quadruple quadruple the price of oil, and that caused a synchronization of recessions in all advanced industrialized countries. So that is what actually ushered in a period of turbulence and a period of challenges and so on. Before then, growth, peace, we are learned from the war, and things were fine. So you didn't need to be a genius to run a business. It was very easy. Then in 1979, OPEC did it again. And that threw the world into another turbulence. Then from the 80s, we saw um, that most factories had been brought in place. Domestic demand had been um, met. And companies started looking overseas. And internationalization or globalization actually started in the early 80s, competition and so forth and so on. Investment around the world started. So this word was coined globalization, early 80s. And since then, the world hasn't seen that stability that we saw in the first 25 years of the post-war period. So it's become very, very difficult. So in the early 80s, we started seeing companies actually struggling and some collapsing. Competition had become intense. Um, internationalization was coming up and growing, and companies started failing. Now, this is what actually came out of the In Search of Excellence study that was done by uh, Tom Peters and Bob Waterman. Because the early 80s, companies started struggling. And by 1990, a lot of them had collapsed. If you look at the In Search of Excellence um, study, for example, by the late 1970s, early 80s, they had identified 43 companies which by any performance indicator were the best in corporate America. These were the excellent, the cream of the cream. But today, even that cream, only 10 of them still around. So we begin to wonder, you know, if these were the top companies, how come they did collapse? They collapsed because the world started changing from the period of stability to a period of turbulence, and this turbulence is going to increase in this century. So the question then is: These were excellent companies. Why did they collapse? And the basic reason was that if you're operating in a stable period where everybody's buying whatever you do, you don't need, you don't need to be a first-class manager. But when you move into a period of change and turbulence, that is where you actually separate the goats from the sheep, because The the well-run companies will continue to survive. Those that will not run very well but survive because demand was very high, there was no competition, start collapsing. So of the 43, only 10 are still around. And that is the trend that is going on. It would would seem, PK, that
0: if you took the past two years, some of the disruptions that you mentioned, that probably encompassed 10-year periods, 25-year periods, in the past 2 years has seen a steep multiplication of these disruptions first with the covid and its implications the russia ukraine war with its implications global supply chains being disrupted virtualization of work and it would seem that no one can put their finger on how the world will look anymore precisely in the light of that the big question then i mean having seen various research works done by Peterson, Waterman, and all these people, um, and the companies that they selected failing, some failing and some succeeding, the, 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 the discussion today is about what must companies do to ensure that they are in the 10 that do well and not in the 33 that also fail by the wayside? What do you but, call the sheep and the
1: goats? That's right. What do the sheep do differently from the goats? Right. Basically, what the study by Tom Peters and others indicated was that if you are operating in a period of stability, all you need is good management because very few changes. But in the kind of environment that we operate in, it is very, very difficult to actually get success to continue over any period of time. And the most important ingredient for ensuring success is leadership. That was what was lacking in the past. Oh, whatever you do, everybody buys. You don't need to be a genius and so forth and so on. In a period of change, what is necessary, what is required, is the ability to navigate the organization, the company, through the changes that come about. And the ingredient required to do that is leadership. The ability to scan the environment, the ability to look into the future, and the ability to forecast what is going to happen and therefore navigate the organization, get people on board, say, guys, this is the way the world is going. Let us work in this direction. That ability is in leadership, and not many CEOs are very good in leadership. That's why leadership has become topical these days and all the MBA programs have leadership. The ability to just say, this is the way we need to go based on scanning the environment, forecasting what's going on, and getting everybody on board. Because human beings are fundamentally conservative. We live in comfort zones. We don't like change. It's our nature. We are creatures of habit. And if we are doing well, for a managing director or CEO to come and say, hey, guys, the next five years is going to be terrible. so let's do something different. It's not easy to do. But the ability to get people, convince them to buy into it and work with you in the direction that will determine is what is leadership and that is lacking a lot of the time.
0: This is springboard of virtual investment. I guess PK Richardson from Manchester, sharing with me about what the best run companies do differently. In his preliminary thoughts, he's been sharing about the history of business across the world and the fact that some time ago it was literally coming out of a worse period where all you did get to do was produce and you were guaranteed a line at your door or your shop front to patronize your product. He says disruptions started to some extent with the OPEC quadrupling of oil prices, and then subsequent events kept multiplying these disruptions. And we have we have mentioned the fact that in the past couple of years, these disruptions have themselves quadrupled. In the light of that, what do you do as a business? He says leadership is key, being able to scan the environment Point your team in the right, the right direction, and inspire them to follow you. Pick it. let's take a look at companies that do well. My friend, one friend said the company is doing well. Another friend said the whole show is challenging. You mentioned um, in 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 a previous conversation what the right companies do well. What would be, what would be some of the things that companies that do well? tend to do differently from companies right. that struggle.
1: We've done a lot of research on successful companies and not so successful or companies likely to die. You know, I can go into a company, look at the way they do things, talk to their managers and tell them that six months time you'll be dead. And sometimes they think yes, I'm, i <laughs> It's not very pleasant, but sometimes uh, I have to do that. There was a company in Manchester DDI. You know, we did a project for them so I got friendly with the managing director, beautiful lady. And I, uh, one time I went in, we talked about the way they were doing things as strategic, so I said, "Look, you're doing it very wrong. Sir, PK, this is the way we've done it, we've been successful. I said, no, it's not going to work, because she was actually working with rules of thumb. This is the way we've always done it. I said, but the world around you is changing. Six months down the line, bank pulled a plug on them. And I went and said, I told you so. You know, so we've done a lot of research, you know, on how companies are run, and what is it that managers do? to achieve success. And as a result of the research on thousands of companies, we've actually put companies into groups. One, we call them the good players. The good players are those who are doing it right. And chances are they will actually survive next 10, 15 years, because they're doing it right. And the other group, those which are struggling, simply because they're not doing it right. So we put them together, and we call them the good players and the bad players. And we found seven elements that separate them. And these are the elements that other managers, other CEOs, other companies, can actually learn from. So maybe we can have a look at them. So the good players versus the, the uh, bad it, players. It, it reminds me <laughs> of football,
0: but I will stay clear of football
1: today. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> good players versus bad, players. bad players. So if, if you're a football person, please listen to this and see whether the thoughts P.K. is sharing can be applicable in football. And if your team didn't, didn't qualify for the Champions League, find out whether the good players are there or they the bad players are there. P.K., good players versus bad, bad players. players. Number one of seven.
1: The first one is good players are able to determine what is the right thing to do. Good players do right things. Bad players do things right. These are the same two English words. But when you swap them around, their meanings are worlds apart. Good players are the ones de- able to determine what are the right things we need to do going forward. What are the things that will sell? What are the things that we need to forget about? Even if you've been doing them in the past, shoot. The things that we should just throw them overboard. Just that. How is the future going to pan out? We've got resources. We are a company. We've got investment money and so on. What are the right things to do? And they are able to determine what the market is likely to want in the next few 10 years and go for it. And that's why they are successful. Bad players do things right. In other words, whatever they're doing, they want to make it as best as possible. But what is the point in producing the best car if nobody wants it? The best stereo if nobody wants it, especially if it's too expensive. You know, they are more product-focused. You want to have a perfect product, but who cares? It's not about what you can make. It's about what the market is asking for. So right things, things right. The same two English words. Good players, they determine and do the right things. Bad players do things right. Would that be the
0: same dance between effectiveness and efficiency?
1: They go together. Effectiveness is simply the ability to do what you have declared you want to do. I am a teacher. An effective teacher is the one who actually teaches well. Because there can be teachers who are not effective. They are teachers, but they can't deliver. People don't understand what they do. Effectiveness means we say, we produce potatoes, and we're able to do it very well. If anybody comes to check, they realize that they decide they do potatoes. Yes, they are the best in it. Efficiency is cost. Because if you've got two companies all bottling water, they may all be effective in the sense that they actually bottle good quality water. But one can bottle the water at 10 pesos per bottle, and the other is 20 pesos per bottle. So the 110% is more efficient. So efficiency is about you know, the use of the resources, productivity of the resources. How high or low in terms of cost. And the two must go together. You have to be effective, deliver what you say you are going to deliver, and also be cost effective. Because people are going to pay for it, and they will prefer to pay for a good product at a lower cost than competitors.
0: So your point number one, good players do the right things. That's right. Bad That's
1: players do things right. This is right. Let me illustrate to the PepsiCo. In 1931, Cola was bankrupt for the second time in 10 years. 1931. The chairman chief executive at that time was a gentleman called Charles Good, And he didn't know what to do. So he went to Coca-Cola, the only competitor around, said, look, we can't compete. Just buy our company. At least our workers will have a job. Chairman Coca-Cola said, why should we pay money to somebody who's going to die anyway? You die, Pepsi is out, we take the whole market. At that time, the colors were sold in six-ounce bottles for five cents, both of them. So what Charles Gould did was, he sat his board together and executives and everything. said, what is the right thing that we must do to still be able to uh, uh, get out of this bankruptcy and so forth and so on? And what they realized was that, if they could double the size of, of the bottles and still sell them at five cents, people will find that they are doing the right things. And that's what they did. Double the volume, same price, sales took off. And that's why PepsiCo is still around today. You know, So the ability to sit down and say, what is the right thing to do? These are the marks of successful companies.
0: Is this, is this principle applicable to political organizations, to churches, to not-for-profits, who are not even, um, as it were, profit-making? Are these principles is, applicable is, to football
1: clubs, to everything? Yeah. The, doing the right thing That's versus right. doing things right. Yeah. It's important. This this true for all. What is the right thing for Ghana to do? Let me illustrate. India in the early 1980s. 800 million people, mostly poor. As a nation, we don't have enough money to build factories for everybody. So what do we do with the bigger resources we have? Sat down. IT was, was in its infancy. Computer science in its infancy said, look, this knowledge. If we can actually give this kind of level to our people, they can go and sell themselves. So they started establishing IT centers, and uh, computer centers, and look at India. It's a powerhouse today. They did the right thing. They were able to identify the right thing to do, and they went for it. And look at them. Success is there to see.
0: What is the difference? Deliberateness?
1: Right policy, right implementation. What makes a policy right? It works. That's the test. It works, isn't it? The evidence is there to see. Because at the end of the day, you've got 800 million people. You don't have enough money. No, at that time, India was operating a policy of isolationism. We don't want foreigners, we don't want foreign capital. So they haven't got a lot, but they don't want foreign capital to come in. So what can we do? What's the right thing for us to do? If we can empower people, which is what we've been doing the last 20 years, they'll be able to fend for themselves.
0: I'll come back to this point um, as you go along. Second, second thing that I do.
1: The second one is um, customer focus. Because, you see, it doesn't matter about what you produce. It doesn't matter what service you offer. If you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. The whole business of business is to make a customer. And therefore, it's not about what is it that we want to produce because we are top class engineers, or we are top class scientists. It's all about what is it that people are looking for. Yesterday, I was making the point that somebody, you know, a lady on one of these uh, um, stars was on TV saying, follow your passion, follow your passion. And I made the point that if your passion doesn't put food on a table, it's a useless passion. It's only a hobby. At the end of the day, the question is you, you only survive and grow if you've got customers. So the whole thing is about satisfy the customer. So when you go to Disney, for example, in Orlando, and you see a Disney executive, and I have you said, you ask him, what business are you in? A Disney executive would never say, we are an entertainment business, we are in the theme park business, he will say, we are in the business of making people happy. The definitions of the customer, because if people people come, they are happy, they will come again. When I talk to my MBA students, those from banking and other areas and so on, and I ask them, what business are you in? Oh, I'm in the banking industry, I'm in the entertainment. I say, you guys have got it wrong from, from, from day one, because they're defining their business in terms of industries. The business must be defined in terms of the customer. So for a banker, you are in the business of providing solutions to your customers' financial problems. So, the emphasis. So the product, on the, customer. the product. Because if you provide solutions, they'll come again. So the product of the product should be the conversation. It's on the customer, yes. Right. So, so customer-centric, that is it. And then poor, you know, bad players always think about product. This is what we make. We are the best in the world. IBM was like that. They were producing mainframes, the best in the world, at a time when people were looking for pieces. You know, so they were product-oriented. We are the best mainframes. Who cares? Nobody wanted mainframes anymore. And a lot of companies do that. And these are the bad players. The emphasis on their capabilities and the product they are used to rather than what the customer is looking for, customer
0: service. So Piki, the Instagram economy that many people are very fascinated about is dominated by fleet-footed young people, many of whom don't even have a physical, locational address, but who understand in monumental ways what people want, the convenience they want, the speed they want, the cost efficiencies they want, and are able to seamlessly deliver to the doorstep of the client at reasonable price what the big Sized companies will struggle with bureaucracy to deliver. That's right. So what you're saying is that this customer focus and this ability to deliver um,
1: superior value will give these fleet-footed fleet companies an advantage ah. in the market. When I'm now talking about starting a business for young people, entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, and so on, I say to them, don't think about money. I'm going to establish business because I want money. No. I am going to establish a business that will provide some service to humanity. And once humanity catches that and says, this is what we want, money will flow. You know, Zuckerberg and others, they did not start looking for money. They actually designed something which we all wanted and therefore went around them with money. And that is the way people should think. What is it that I can continue that will satisfy some need of some customers?
0: And this brings us to the midpoint of Springboard Virtual University. My name is Albert Okran, here with Professor P.K. Regison from Manchester, talking about what the best-run companies do differently. Just a reminder, if you are listening to this alone, that you can actually reach out to a friend a loved one and say, tune in, log on, let's get into this conversation. What must we do differently? I started the program by talking about two friends, one talking about the big things happening in his company, another talking about the challenges he was facing and when i asked him what was the issue he said the whole show (laughs) pk is trying to help us unravel what the whole show is and he's given us two so far when we come back there's five more to go the first one is that good players or good companies or good leaders do the right things and bad players do things right the second one is about customer customer and customer. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and our partners are MTN Ghana and the Enterprise Group. Let's go for a break. When we come back, let's find out what five other things do the good players do differently. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Springboard, a virtual university and to my conversation with PK Richardson about what the best run companies do differently. If you've been with us Right from the beginning, we've been looking at the fact that there's, there's been some disruption in the world over the past century or so, exacerbated by different players like OPEC, like COVID, and the seemingly increase in the, in, in the, in the plethora of things disrupting the business world. And you see some time ago business was literally like just produce and you are safe and secure but things have changed so much over the years and today we are looking at what the good players good leaders do differently with the organizations and what the bad players or the not so well-run companies do and we've had two of them so far the good ones do the right things the bad ones do things right and the second thing is that the good ones are more
1: customer focused pk what would be number three The number three is competitor understanding. Uh, There are many companies which tend to look internally. They are always concerned about what we are doing here. And even when they talk about return on capital employed, they're looking at last year we did 12%. This year we've done 30, so we've done well. Meanwhile, the best in the industry are doing 23, 25. If you are going to be successful, the good players are always scanning the environment for who are the competitors. And it's not only who are the competitors today. Who are the competi- possible competitors tomorrow? The potential, because competition can come from inside the industry or from outside. For example, you know the bank has thought that they had monopoly uh, on money, and that telephone companies were just telephone companies. Now telephone companies are in money and taking big chunks. We I call it industry collision. Industries are colliding. So good companies are always looking at their competitors, traditional competitors, to see how they compete so that they can develop competitive advantage over them. But they're also looking outside. Who are the potential competitors that may come in? Bad players, internal look, they don't see the competition coming in until they are totally uh, destroyed. That's the
0: difference. I love the words industry collision. And what you're saying is that for, it's almost like watching National Geographic and the, the, the animals grazing happily and not being aware of predators, and, 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 and then suddenly it's, it's, it's upon them, and it's too late to make a move. So what you're seeing is that the bad players yeah. are unable to uh, locate predatory issues that could affect their performance and they measure themselves by what they did previously, yes. whereas the good ones are always looking at yes. what, what what us. Are, what, what are the best players yes. doing? And who is likely to come up next who will be a big, a big threat. So the third is competitive understanding. What oh, we number four?
1: The fourth is operational excellence. Mm. You may have two companies. All of them have got capital and labor. Let's say they've all got capital 10 million. They've all got 100 workers. But one is actually turning out a better return than the other. What explains that? Ability to use the resources well, the capital and the labor. In other words, productive capital and productive labor. Now, a lot of companies, when they want to increase their profits, when they want to raise profitability, you know what they do? They cut down on cost, reduce staff, reduce this and so forth and so on. Most companies don't realize that you can actually achieve a better return on capital by just you know, sweating your assets. We call it asset 10. If you can actually sweat your asset, you don't need to reduce any any cost. You can still have a better return. Because return on capital is profit over capital employed. But it's equal to profit over sales times sales over capital. The profit over sales is sales margin. Sales over capital is how you know fast and no, deep you are using your, your assets. And companies don't realize that. So I advised a company that used to be um, working in Birmingham. It was a car service garage. And it had a competitor about 100 yards away. And they hated each other, you see. They were competitors on the same street. And one of them, let's say, garage, they came together and said, The only thing I want to do in this world is knock my competitor out of business. What do I do? I said, This is what we are going to do. You're going to use your assets. More. So rather than nine to five, you run a night shift also. Because when you run a night shift, you are using the same capital. You're not going to buy any new equipment. But you are using the capital twice. And he did and said to you know potential customers, in the morning you can come and leave your car here. In the evening, you take it. But those who prefer, leave your car when you finish business at five. We will service it and we will bring a car to people from home. So they use the Assets twice rather than the capital twice in a day rather than once sales took off, people were very happy, and the, the, the competitor died within six months. And that was what advice I gave. So, companies don't realize that you can actually improve profitability by sweating your assets rather than just concentrating on cutting down on costs. I'm sure for.
0: For managers listening today, they are smiling and saying, that's it. That one. That is the one. Operational excellence. Get a bit more from the capital and get a bit more from the staff. And the staff are listening and saying, PK, keep quiet. It's okay. <laughs> so number one, good ones do the right things, bad ones do things right. Number two, you see customer focus is the second one. Third one is competitor understanding. I love that one for reasons I'll share with you at the right time. The fourth one is operational excellence. What would be number five? Number five is fast and flexible.
1: In a world that is changing very fast. You need to act very fast. Silly example, 1974, IBM produced a mini computer. That was first class. But it took a long time for them to come to the market. Sun microsystems picked it up and brought it to the market ahead of IBM, even though IBM actually invented it, you know. So by the time IBM came to the market, the market was already flooded with some microsystem uh, 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 computers. So in a world that changes very fast, you need to move very very fast, and you need to be flexible too. Uh, this is the way you have always done it. it will not work. I uh, met a lady in uh, Gimpa not long ago. I had uh, actually done my MBA teaching. I was coming down the stairs. She was also coming up, and uh, the stairs. And so she was smiling to me, and I said. No, this lady smiling to me. Anyway, when we got close to each other, I said, "Sweetheart, we know each other." And she said, "Oh, I, you you won't remember me, but I remember you because you actually did an open lecture and you said something that changed my life." Say what? I said something that changed your life. I must have said something very good. And What did I say? And she said. In the lecture, you said there are some companies that feel too big to be small, and there are some that feel too small to be big. I mm. said, so, how did it change your life? So, when I said, when I graduated, I set up my own ladies, one-lady consultancy, and because I was one person, I was afraid to take big contracts. Even if people did me a favor and gave me a big contract, I shied away. I was too small to be big. But when you made that statement, I realized that I could take a big project and go look for a and say, look, come and join me let's get into bed to do it together and now i'm ten times the size of my company so you have to be flexible you have to be fast you know this is the way we have always done it for 30 years will not work you need to move fast and that is very very crucial in a world that is changing very fast are you a
0: company that is too big to be small or too small to be, to be big, big. that's one alone is a conversation that can take us another hour too small to be big or too big to be small and i can just imagine this applying to different things you've built a school and and, and you are too small to be big or your school is too big to be small and to respond to the needs of the people that you are mandated to serve that's the voice of pk richardson what would be number
1: six in your list of things that the best run companies do different good internal communication A lot of companies are led by people I call bosses, not leaders. Bosses. So usually, in my teaching around the world and my classes, so on, I don't use the word boss because boss gives the impression of no being bossy, pushing people down, so forth and so on. And that word is not pleasant. So good companies, a lot of the CEOs of, I mean, the multi-billion Dollar companies, they always have one afternoon in a week when they open their doors. Anybody in the company, if you've got any good ideas, come and talk to me. You can imagine the amount of ideas they have. When you've got a company where decisions are not always top down, but come from bottom up stuff, because all the workers have some knowledge. They are also, they are also human beings; they can think. When you have a company where it's not just top-down, but top down and bottom up, it become a learning organization and success comes because people bring ideas. You know, some companies, everybody sees their managing director coming and they take over. They, they, they run away. Because these are ten gods. No. Excellent leaders, excellent CEOs want ideas. And they actually create a company where communication between people actually is fostered. These are learning organizations. And the bad, good players always have this kind of environment. Bad players, I'm the boss. Don't you know who I am? I'm the boss. It doesn't lead to anywhere. As a boss, you don't have all the ideas in the world. Excellent. Number seven. The last one is leadership. It doesn't matter um, how good a company is today. If it is not led by people who are imbued with this particular ingredient we call leadership, that company hasn't got a future. So all the excellent companies, all the excellent CEOs of the world are basically good managers because they did it when they were 25, 30, 40, and today they've also studied leadership so when it comes to actually doing the day-to-day stuff they understand it they can advise they can come and check it's being done properly and when they need to actually look into the future and navigate the company they can also do it a typical example is um, um nokia by you know um Job Olila. when he was appointed in 1992 nokia was a conglomerate car tires Chemicals, paper, and so forth and so on. Small electronics division in one of the smallest countries in the world. Chopper said, "How can we compete in a globalizing world <laughs> with these bits of piece, bits and pieces of a uh, 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 segment of business?" At that time, mobile telephony was in infancy. He was able to look into the future. That's why I said this guy was remarkably clairvoyant and said, "This is going to be the big thing of the next hundred years." sold all the divisions, put the money into the small electronic division, and build the biggest mobile phone company in 10 years in one of the smallest countries on the planet, Finland. So leadership, the ability to determine what is the right thing to do, get people and choose, get them on board, let them buy in, and so forth and so on, and then work together. When, um, the first non-french manager was appointed ceo was appointed for this beauty products company called L'Oréal, french company he's a british guy lindsay jones first board meeting listen you are the first non-french to be appointed to this uh, to head this company what's your vision for this company say look i've inherited a small but a very good French company my vision is to make this company totally international and the biggest beauty products company in the world with that sort of vision, and getting buying, you know, getting meetings, travel meetings, and selling the idea and getting everybody on board. He achieved double-digit profit growth non-stop for 25 years and made this company totally international. So leadership is what drives all the things that we have actually discussed, and if it's not there there's no future. In the world, that's changing very fast, 21st century, if the leadership of any organization is not superb, forget it.
0: Springboard your virtual investing my guest, Professor P.K. Rich is visiting lecturer at the Manchester Business School, helping us to unpack in his from his research seven things that the best run companies do well i'm smiling because i'm wondering which one is your favorite i have a funny idea that depending on where you sit it will be very easy to choose which one is your favorite because it will be the one that favors you but big the big big thing about who you're saying is that these sound like very very simple things and my next question to you pk is why if 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 it's so obvious why don't companies do these things?
1: A lot of executives they don't know it. You know, people are appointed um, sometimes being favoured. You know, I do say that many, many, many companies are headed by people who are actually not excellent leaders. They may have got it because they are related to the president's wife, or they paid money into the party, or they have served longest in the company. One will was appointed. Managing director of British Airways, he was only 44. You mean there were no 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds? There were many. But he had what it took to run the company. And therefore, skill is important. A lot of people are so very proud. You know, I'm the managing director. Who can teach me? We used to run a course in Manchester Business School for chairman of PLCs and uh, managing director CEOs. And the title of the course was the winning organization. Beautiful. And these guys actually came. These are guys paid $40 million a year, but they still came because they felt we should always upgrade themselves. Yesterday, we were talking about upscaling and rescaling. These guys came. Max and Spencer was the icon of UK retailing. Mrs. Thatcher, we shopped there. It was the best in the world, apart from Harold, which is special. Max and Spencer, all right? And in 1996, we had the misfortune of appointing a guy called Richard Greenbury to be CEO. And Max and Spencer has never been the same again. The guy has served longest, but as a manager, he was good. As a leader, zero, and you blew it. So if you put there, you need to realize that you need leadership skills to do it. And if you don't have them, please, take a course. Will that, be about, kind of leader. Will that be about continuous learning? Part of it. No, because you must have been graduate work for 20 years. Fine, but you need this part. If you're at the top, you need these skills. Leadership skills... Otherwise, you can't navigate the company. You will fail. So anybody who aims to be a CEO, a head of even nonprofit organization, who wants to be head to actually deliver success, leadership, is a sine qua non condition. I'll
0: tell you something about one of the um, one of the points you mentioned. Number three, customer understanding. I competitor understanding. And and I, I hear a very I read a very interesting story about Jack Walsh in his days as CEO of General Electric. And I, I it's one of the favorite stories I tell about, about being able to really know what your competitors are doing. And a story is told about Jack Walsh inviting his favorite competitor for I will mention for for a meeting in his office (laughs) and the competitor traveled to sit with Jack Walsh and as they were conversing, saw that there was a book in front of Jack Walsh that had his company's name and written on it, the five-year plan of his company and was looking at Jack Walsh, talking to him and looking at the book in front of him and asking what is in that book? I didn't author it and it wasn't authored by my company, so As they kept speaking, his eyes kept going to the book and wondering, what exactly is in this book? And it was part of of the deliberate engagement. So eventually, he says, can I see this book? He says, why not? He pushes the book, and he reads the strategy document that has his company's name on it and says, you know what? This document you have here is better than the one I'm using to run my company. And he says, a, a, a group of young people in my organization, yes, strategy office. with with technology, have yes. been able to diagnose yeah. research, how your company should be run.
1: No so, industrial espionage. Yes. So, SPR, just, so what material. what what is then means is that
0: it's possible that somebody in their strategy session has more information and more insight about your company you are running or your organization than you
1: who has. The the and and the other the basis is very very simple. How can you develop a competitive advantage over somebody if you don't know how they compete? You have to know. So you're saying that while you may look at your
0: numbers, you must be very very aware of what the competitor. How has. They do?
1: What are they doing before you can beat them?
0: Let me go on. Let me let me let me end end with something on operational excellence, which is. One of the points I also felt was 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 quite key. So sometimes you find that at the board level, where big decisions are made, stakeholders are aware of how fine a line the company is traveling and how a small variance or dissonance will cripple the whole system Right. and yet travel one step below to middle management or sometimes even senior management or, or, or the factory floor or the base of the organization and there's no idea and therefore people are operating in their own way at their own pace, very very relaxed when there are big forces threatening to eat the lunch of the organization. How do you get your thoughts at that
1: level to percolate through the whole yeah. organization. That, that's a failure of leadership. Because how, how are you leading people and yet they don't even know where you're going? You see the point? Because if everybody is on board, then at least they will work to support what you're doing. And I think I saw this in Merchant Bank when I used to be a consultant there. Vision written very nicely at reception. This is what the company aims to do. When I stood in reception, and everybody was getting said, have you seen that? You know what they said to me, the big guys wrote it there. Say, but you yourself, you are part of this company. Nobody has explained it to me. How can people paddle in your support if they don't know what you are trying to achieve? And that's a failure of leadership. Because if you are leading people, they all have to know what you are leading them to. Then they can, you know align themselves with what you are trying to achieve. So leadership is about setting the vision, determining where we're going, the right things to do, alright? Developing a strategy to achieve it, achieve it, and getting people aligned. Guys, come on board, this is the way we're going. And everybody says, yes, you have explained it to us, we've understood it, you can count as him. we work with you. And if that is fake, not done, then there's no leadership. Because you have to lead them, they have to come with you. And if you don't do it, all right, so that
0: is the note on which we end this conversation with Professor P.K. richardson visiting professor at the Manchester Business School and a leadership consultant around the world. He's saying that leadership means getting the team to understand this is where we are going, breaking it down for everyone to understand, buy in and paddle in the right direction. I saw a picture that I use sometimes in training of 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 six people paddling in one direction, and one person paddling in the opposite direction with equal and opposite energy. We'll find out in our subsequent conversations how to get everyone to turn around and move in the same direction. So if you are one of those who takes notes very vigorously and you are enjoying those debates on social media, here are the seven things that the best-run companies do as shared by Professor P.K. Richardson, number one. The good players do the right things, and the bad players do things right and tend to be product-focused. Second one is customer focus. The second thing that the good players do right. The third one is competitor understanding. They know exactly what their competitors are doing and who are the next likely competitors to come up. The fourth it's about operational excellence. They sweat their assets, their labor, their capital, and what they've invested in to get the biggest return out of it. The fifth is fast and flexible. Don't spend time going round and round and round the ten till somebody else crosses the line first and gets the advantage. Number six is good internal communication. Harvest ideas from all across the business. And the last And in his opinion, the crown of all of it is leadership. Being able not just to be a great manager to understand the day-to-day running, but a leader able to forecast where to go, gather the people with you, and move them in that direction. The thoughts of Professor P.K. Richardson. P.K., before you board the plane back to Manchester, your closing thoughts for our listeners and viewers
1: today. Um, I think that we're moving into a world where knowledge is becoming increasingly difficult um, and yet very, very necessary. So everybody should have at the back of their minds that they are going to remain relevant in this world of change. They should actually be keen on learning. Uh, Somebody put it in a very funny way. I don't know if it's true, but I think by and large, my experience is true, that if you want to hide the secret from a black person, put in a book. We don't read. We don't seem to love knowledge. But the world is going in a direction where knowledge is what pays money. And I think everybody should think about improving their knowledge. I think that the good thing about the
0: last quote that you just shared is that the biggest gatherings today of people in our part of the world are gatherings sharing knowledge. So we have made progress in reading and learning. And I'm sure your book, Leadership Cases, um, what, what, pra, theory, theory, practice, and cases. Case is, is proof case of the fact that and people. And case
1: studies on Ghanaians You would never find them anyway.
0: So it's, uh, it's proof of the fact that people are reading more. Yeah, so we can be we can be comforted by that assurance. Yeah. Next, we could begin a discussion about job pathways, and we announce a very special collaboration with by Springboard, and that is a big one. So next week, wherever you are tuning to your virtual university as we bring the discussion about job pathways the biggest conversation driving policy across africa and the world and guess what the biggest determinant of elections across the world job pathways don't miss next week here on springboard your virtual university my name is albert okran saying a big thank you to you all for joining us in this conversation on behalf of of the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and our sponsors MTN Ghana as well as the Enterprise Group. Thank you to our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. So my name is Albert Okran saying God bless you, God bless you and God bless you. Sponsors, Enterprise Group, MTN, Media Partners, Joy FM, Joy Prime and Graphic Business. Springboard, your personal violence